Hey everybody, this is John. Another episode of Parenting Today is on its way. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Tuesday. We're going to continue talking about pop culture. Uh, We discuss movies. I discuss a book, and Kurt makes fun of the fact that I bring up a book in a pop culture conversation, but hopefully there's some relevant stuff there for you. And then we end with a really interesting discussion, interesting to us at least, about movies and what exactly is a movie, Uh, which might seem like a strange question, but it is interesting to ponder. Uh, so look, here's Joe Deegan, and uh, I'll get into my conversation with Kurt. Welcome uh, to Parenting Today. My name is Kurt Cooper, and I'm joined as always by John Parrott. He's fighting through illness even as we speak to record these podcasts. John, welcome back. It's good to be back, Kurt. Glad to have some more conversation with you catch up with you uh, like we said we missed getting to to hang out and catch up so it's good to have another episode for people yes i agree sorry you caught me mid-yawn right there yeah, it's early in the morning really we record these things at 5 a.m so it's tough uh it's still dark outside <laughs> anyway we are continuing our conversation with uh or not with anyone but we're continuing our conversation about pop culture. Uh, On Tuesday, if you listen to the episode, you'll know that we talked a little bit about uh, Game of Thrones, a little bit about uh, YouTube, a little bit about uh, and about the uh, surrounding issues, uh, as well as we kind of rehashed why we have been so uh, lackadaisical and um, sparse with our podcasting. Uh, Today, we're going to continue that discussion. John has got several things that he wants to talk about uh, and I don't know about got, several, but I've got a few. Yes. Yeah, you're, John, you're the, you've, you're the you've pop book, culture master. No, you've read a book recently. You've <laughs> read a book, surprisingly. Um, first book in a while. First book today. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you wanted to talk about the book. Even though a book is not really a part of pop culture because mm-hmm. it's just a part of regular culture. But yes. anyway, but it's, It ties in with some pop culture um, so look, yeah, the book is called Digital Minimalism, and it's by Cal Newport, and I'll, I'll reference that, <laughs> I'm sorry, Kurt is doing a big yawn and just acting like he's bored as I'm saying that, so it's hard to keep a straight face. Um, yeah, Kurt's a funny guy, and he's, he's laughing silently to himself, and he's doing like the roll, like he's, you know, doing the, the circular laugh in people, the chair. People can't see you. I know, that's people why I'm having to describe you. it. <laughs> so, um, hang on, we're coming back to the, bo- the book. I know it's keeping you on the edge of your seats, and everyone's really excited. Uh, Cal Newport, um, I'll talk about him in just a minute, but his blog, calnewport.com, he shared a story about... Um, Alexandria Cortez. Uh, I, I don't know her. You know, I'm sure she's uh, well known. No, it's huh. you talking about the politician. Is that right? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yes, I've only ever seen her name written. So okay, yeah. See, I said Kurt's just he's in the know on so much. Um, she's the author of the Green New Deal, John. Mm-hmm-hmm. So. That's, or one of the authors of the Green New Deal. Yeah, we're, we're not going to get into this, but I've cut out news out of my life. <laughs> and so um, I just don't watch anything right now. Um, and so I'm just, I'm behind on on 
so much, Kurt. This is going to blow you away, but Donald Trump is president. What? <laughs> and not only that, but the Simpsons predicted it anyway, wow. like years ago. I, I can't did, explain I did it. know that, and that, that is pretty unbelievable. Um, but anyway, she announced on a podcast that she was quitting Facebook. And what Cal Newport brings up in this uh, blog post is that um, people really misrepresented why she quit Facebook. And I think he even says, you know, in the Washington Post, they, they lump her in with um, others stepping away from Facebook because just the, the personal information that's obtained on Facebook. And so it, it just leads people to believe, well, this is why she stepped away from Facebook. But he says, you know, in his blog post, I'm quoting, he says, here's the thing. Uh, misuse of personal data and hateful content were not the reasons emphasized uh, by her for why she, she quit Facebook. She instead called social media a public health risk that too often leads to increased isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction, escapism. And so she was you know, somewhat misrepresented in the Washington Post. And so some of it ties into Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. Um, and if some of you are familiar with Cal Newport, he wrote a book entitled Deep Work. And as some of these we've referenced on Parenting Today, we've also referenced on uh, the local youth worker. But uh, Cal Newport, I mean, he is an, a computer engineer, uh, or he teaches, uh, no, computer science professor. That's right. And so he's not opposed to computers. He's not opposed to technology. Uh, but something, you know, he talked about in his book, Deep Work, was just how to have focused work with all the distraction that's going on in our culture, that we're becoming a very distracted society and just steps that he takes to have focused, deep work. And Kurt's being funny again, pulling up his phone as I'm, I'm saying that. Well, th this other book, Digital Minimalism, um, d just talks a lot about some of the cautions, the uh, issues associated with social media. Kurt and I are going to have a conversation with Richie Sessions in May on this podcast, Parenting Today, talking about social media. Um, but and he also cites uh, Adam Alter's book, Kurt, Irresistible, um, which we've referenced several times on this, this podcast, um, but just brings up a lot of good thoughts about um, leisure, what we should, what should leisure time actually look like, what should it be, um, how can we rest, how can we uh, get away from uh, some of the digital distraction in our lives. He does not argue that you should quit all social media, anything like that. Uh, but he does give some some thoughts, some steps, and raises a lot of good um, concerns. And so anyway, I just thought, you know, this is a fairly new book. I know it's not necessarily pop culture, but because it is kind of tying into some, some cultural things going on. I mean, obviously social media, fairly big um, cultural uh, artifacts there with Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, as we're referencing, uh, he, he definitely deals with a lot of that in his book. And this, you know, book came out this year in February, so it's somewhat current. Um, but CalNewport.com, if you check that out, you can learn a little bit about him and his books. Kurt, go ahead, I teed that one up for you just to make fun of me about. No, it's, you're good to go. I don't know anything about the book, but it sounds cool. I don't think that that representative Cortez. Uh, or Ocasio, or I don't think that that representative has quit social media because I'm pretty sure that all the United States representatives are still on Twitter. So anyway, I'm curious I about think it's that. just Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. You know, I would say certainly Facebook is problematic, but I would say if you really wanted to, if, if social media really was bad for your health and you quit all of it, not uh, just the one that all the old people are on. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> moving Kurt, moving what on. Did, what do you have? What do I have? Well, uh, I, again, sometimes you just find, I, I, I don't know, I, I just peruse, when I peruse the internet, it's typically looking for something that I can like, leverage to talk to my students um it's something you know especially with pop culture is like how can i leverage this to talk about the gospel and um or it's just to find something interesting but uh there is a uh, as you know and i think we're going to talk about movies in just a second but as you know the trailer for uh the newest star wars movie the ninth in this uh i don't even know what you call it at nine but this long story about the skywalker Saga? family Saga. Uh, saga. Okay. Yes. The ninth in the saga, uh, the Star Wars saga, the trailer was just released. And uh, I think it's because it's called The Rise of Skywalker. That's correct. And, and okay. before we started recording, I said I was going to reference this one. So Kurt's just hijacking this, even though he is bringing up something I was not aware of. But go ahead, Kurt. Yeah. Even that. Okay, John. Whatever. The anyway. Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Yes. So, but what I wanted to talk about was not necessarily the trailer, which obviously revealed almost nothing or very little or as little as possible and also looked amazing as all trailers look. Uh, you know, I didn't really care for uh, some of the newer Star Wars movies, but all the trailers, when I saw them, I thought uh, this is going to be amazing. So, uh, but there is a YouTuber uh, who I've, I'm, I'm, his name is Eric Butts, and he's 40 years old, and he's in Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. I guess that's where the University of Kentucky is. And he recorded his reaction, which is something that I guess people do on YouTube, where they, you know, they record themselves reacting to, you know, someone else's thing. Yeah. Yes. Question on that, Kurt. I've wondered when people record their reactions, are those legit? Is that like live, or are people recording that live? Because to me, it's like if they don't care for their reaction, they can just delete that. They can omit that. I mean, like when I've seen live reactions to sporting events, I'm thinking sure, their team lost. So is this really believable? And, you know, because why would they want everybody to see? So I that, think that's, that's a valid question. I think that's a valid question for this medium is, is our, is what you see, is what you see on the screen, their actual reaction the first time, or is it, um, or is it somehow uh, fake? I, I tend to, think that some of these are real uh only because uh i think if people if you got in the habit of faking it people would start to be able to recognize that so uh again i don't watch youtube reaction videos that is not interesting to me i would rather watch the star wars trailer than watch some random person i don't know's reaction to it i'll have my own reaction so Again, this is old guy Kurt talking about, you know, criticizing new media or whatever. But what I found was interesting was um, is that this guy like is openly crying over the trailer, like in excitement and in joy. And then, uh, you know, he some people would say he nerded out. Um, I guess those people lived in like 2008, but whatever. Um and he really nerds out about the Star Wars trailer. Uh, to, I would say, you know, personally, to somewhat of an embarrassing degree. And uh, the internet, as it's prone to do, uh, 
was very gentle with him and gracious <laughs> and, and super kind and uplifting to him. No, the first thing that happened was that everyone took that video, which he willingly put on the internet. Okay. And they shared it and they made fun of this guy and said, you know, people said things like, this is why, um, you know, this, this, this is why there's no dateable men. Or I think someone wrote that or, you know, someone wrote like, this is, you know, this guy's in his mom's basement, or they just said like, terrible, you know, they said they made fun of him. They made really bad. You know, they said, and obviously that is not cool. You shouldn't be making fun of people to their face, much less should you be making fun of people, you know, that you don't even know for whatever reason. At the same time, also want to say, you know, and this is just Kurt talking, not the Bible, obviously, but hey, maybe don't share your, you know, embarrassing reactions on the internet uh, if you don't want to see the ugliness of the world. All that to say is that then what happened was after a lot of people made fun of him is that a lot of people, including the stars of Star Wars, started to come to his defense and talk about how it was fine to do this and like you should be the person that you are. And then there was reaction against the reaction. All that to say is that I think one of the things that happens with social media uh, that we can say is that there is a lot of oversharing on social media. There's a lot of there's a certain kind of arrogance that you one must have um, in order to put up a video on the internet that says, watch me react to something uh, as if my reaction is the point of what's going on. And uh, you know, of course now we've drawn the moral guy with, with this case, which it'll be forgotten in two weeks, but you know, people have drawn the moral boundaries here and said, well, you're a bad person if you think that, you know, he shouldn't do this, or you're a bad person if you think that you should do this. And everyone's jumping to conclusions. But again, uh, I think, you know, my takeaway from this is the real story is that there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. And the function of social media, as it almost always is, is how can I make myself the story instead of what is the story, the story. Hmm. And that certainly happened here. Um, you know, that's, I think that when people put on, when people put, uh, thoughts and prayers uh, on their Facebook, you know, it's like, Hey, this bad thing happened, but also I exist, uh, um, remember me. And, you know, anyway, all I have to say is that I think one major function uh, of social media is that we use it to try to bring glory to ourselves, which siphon off the glory from other things, cultural artifacts, movies, artwork. And we say, Hey, how can I make this about me? And, uh, that certainly happened here. So there you go, John. Um, Kurt, that's good. I kind of, I want to camp out here just a bit because I mean, there's so much to talk about and, and just so many thoughts. I, um, I mean, first as we're trying to think, okay, why would this guy share this? Um, you know, hmm. again, it's like, we don't know exactly how this was recorded. If it was live, maybe, you know, he just wanted to kind of have a genuine, sincere reaction to it. Maybe he did not expect to get that emotional and he was overcome with emotion. And maybe, you know, he, he thought, okay, I wish I wouldn't have shared that, but it is out live. And, you know, you just start asking all these questions because I have not watched the video yet, but if he looks foolish and it makes him look like it, this nerd that everybody's calling him a nerd and mocking him, making fun of why, why would he put that out there? Um, because mm. I mean, just again, so many thoughts because, you know, people who want to say, 
people are naturally good. Okay, just look at the comments section of that video, and and okay, yeah, yeah the, the depravity of mankind. Okay, we're we're we are so quick and so ready to just destroy people, and YouTube, all social media platforms are destroying people, mocking people, bullying people, leading people to suicide. And so, I mean, in all sincerity, I, I you know, concerned for this guy and, and, um, yeah, but I don't know. There's, there's just so many thoughts. And I, I mean, one of them is, I know you hit on it, just oversharing. What, why, why, why do we share so much? And, you know, there could be some fame there. I mean, perhaps this guy wanted to, what'd you say his name was? Uh, his name is Eric Butts. Okay. You know, and apparently these are the only kind of videos he makes. He just reacts okay. to trailers. Okay. That's his whole YouTube thing is he right. watches trailers and he reacts to them. So, and he doesn't always get really emotionally. Sometimes he just laughs. Okay. So but, it could be, it could be fame. It could be money. I mean, people can make money off YouTube. You get enough subscribers, enough views, all that stuff. You can get money. Uh, but like you said, kind of hitting on, you know, we, we have this desire to be known. And we don't want to be forgotten. And I mean, that's why constantly, you know, in scripture, you have uh, God, our father telling his children that he knows who you are, uh, that he is Mm. not going to forget you. Um, He calls us as his children to remember him a lot. And so we have this, this longing to just be known. And like you said, people sharing tragic things or, or whatever, we want other people uh, to know uh, about us, to know we're in this pain or, or whatever. Um, I mean, there, there's just, I guess when you shared this, Carter, there's just so many thoughts coming to the surface. It's just hard to to bullet point them and talk about each individual one. But it is an interesting thing that I think it's at least helpful to pause and think about, Kurt, because it's becoming so normal and natural. There's going to be a point in our culture to where it's just, hey, it's what people do. But at least pausing and reflecting on it right now is thinking this isn't how it always was. And it's just, it's an interesting um, truth in our heart that we just need to kind of think about a little bit. Mm. I, I totally agree. All right, John, I don't, we don't just want to talk about reaction videos and yes. YouTube. Um, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. That one thing I forgot to mention when I brought up digital minimalism and how it connected to um, just, Current events. One one thing he shared in the in the book is a website called All Sides, A L L Sides dot com. All Sides, and what's interesting about this website supposedly, um, its tagline is "Don't be fooled by media bias and fake news." Mm-hmm. It claims to be unbiased news. Um, I mean, it says you know unbiased news does not exist. We provide balanced news and civil discourse. And so it takes one major headline, and so on this day, it's Trump vetoes bill to end U.S. military assistance in Yemen, okay? Mm. Then underneath that headline, it has three columns, one from the center, one from the left, one from the right. And it takes the same headline, and it shows how the kind of centered, you know, more neutral media outlet is headlighting that, then from the left, then from the right. And so it shows just mm-hmm. even the headlines, how they differ um, from from all sides. Um, and, you know, that's fairly interesting. And then it also kind of rates the, um, the, the news outlet. It has a little scale and, you know, it has two L's and then the center and then two R's uh, to the right, obviously. And so it 
moves up the degree and down the degree to, to how liberal or how uh, <laughs> Kurt's laughing again. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, it's just, it's somewhat interesting. I'd never heard about this website, allsides.com. And, you know, like you said, what can we believe? And there's media bias and, and all that stuff. And so this at least kind of brings some uh, articles together and uh, maybe helps readers think a little bit through them um, more discerningly. Kurt, it's your turn. Well, yeah, no, I know it's my turn. I was just thinking, uh, I, I think when we think about news, we're venturing into the politics here as well, which is not somewhere that I'm really uh, qualified to talk. But Me either. I just, yeah, I just assume that every bit of news that I receive uh, is coming through the filter of someone's bias. And uh, I'm very skeptical of even all some someone who says uh, all sides because the person who runs that website has a bias, whether it's a known bias or a subconscious bias. Uh, they have a bias one way or the other. Maybe it's a conservative bias or maybe it's a liberal bias or maybe it's a, you know, a fascist bias or maybe it's a, um, a uh, you know, identity politics bi- bias. I don't know what it is, but everyone does. And I think that's, you know. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who Jesus did not be need to be informed or told about man. He knew what was inside of a man. Um, he knows he knows about our, our hearts and that our hearts are desperately wicked and that we're always twisting things uh, to bring our own glory. All I have to say is that uh, I try to listen to when it comes to news, I try to uh, listen to perspectives from every side. Uh and I really do. I make it an effort to be. But the way I do it is I go and try to find like the, the, the hyper conservative and the hyper liberal people and, and get their take on whatever news, uh, because I just don't know if you can really trust people to tell you what's actually happening anymore. Um, yeah. Fake news is a real thing. No, yeah. I agree with you, Kurt. I mean, it's impossible to not be biased. Um, I mean, not even, I don't want to open a can of worms. I mean, you do think about like referees and sporting events. I mean, they've got to have a team they're a little <laughs> pulling for a little bit. And so you just wonder about, I mean, the, mm-hmm. again, the human heart, like you said, um, what one interesting thing, and then we'll quit talking about all sides. Um, I don't know a whole lot about this, but um, uh, Joan Blades and John Gable, I think were the, the founders of it. And they have a TED talk uh, talking about just the danger of just bias and trying to be cautious. And so they actually have, um, I think it says all sides for schools where they kind of teach and describe some of the dangers of just media bias. And um, anyway, so it's, you know, something you can actually support. I mean, you can give funding to this, which I know everything's going to obviously be taking money. But anyway, it just seems fairly interesting. It's it's, it's an interesting concept. Um, But like you said, even kind of theologically, it sounds like you can't really pull that off without some kind of bias. So mm. that's the last thing I'll say about that. Kurt, what do you have? And then I've got one more thing. Um, that should... No, let's go, let's go to your second thing. I know what it is, so I'm ready for it. Okay. All right. So um, there's an Atlantic article that came out in March. And so it's a, a little old, um, but it's actually leading up to a vote that's going to be taking place sometime in April. Um, but the, <clears throat> excuse me, title of the article and the Atlantic is Steven Spielberg versus Netflix. Um, mm. Some people may not know that a discussion that's going on in the culture, and this is a real discussion, is what is a movie? 
right? How do you define what a movie is? And I know you might scratch your head thinking about that, but let me give just a gist of, of this article. I'll read a little bit, and then Kurt and I are going to have a little bit of a discussion on this. Um, the tagline under the title is, The director is again challenging the streaming giant's ability to compete for Oscars. And he has a point, even if he doesn't have much industry support. And so it, <clears throat> the article goes on to say, At 72 years old, Steven Spielberg has made movies for several decades and has an estimated net worth of $3.7 billion. He might be one of Hollywood's most beloved directors, but it's not too difficult for the industry's newer generation to view him as, as someone who might be a little out of touch with the ordinary mover, move, sorry, movie consumer's experience. So when the Oscar-winning filmmaker first publicly aired complaints about Netflix's release strategy last March, contending that films debuting on the streaming service concurrent with a very limited theatrical release shouldn't be eligible for Oscars, he was mostly ignored or dismissed. And Kurt, the, the article goes on to say that he is preparing to petition the Academy to ban Netflix movies from Oscar contention unless they have like an exclusive theatrical window of four weeks. That means mm-hmm. you know, Netflix would not allow, I mean, Netflix would not be allowed to have any kind of Oscar contenders unless they, they you know, let's just take Bird Box. I mean, that's a movie that was not up for an Oscar, but you and I discussed that. They would ha- Netflix would have to at least release that in theaters for four weeks, and so exclusively, exclusively, so it, w- yes. it wouldn't be available on the streaming service until after the four week window. Exactly, and so which th- seems like a really bad business plan because I don't know about you, but if a movie comes out and it's like, hey, this movie's coming out, uh, I'm not, or maybe I'm the wrong customer for this because I don't go to the cinema a lot, and maybe that's what Steven Spielberg's problem is, is that. People have quit going to the cinema. But, you know, for me, if Netflix released a movie, uh, Bird Box or whatever, and said, all right, well, it's going to be for this month, for four weeks, it's going to be in the theater and then it's coming to Netflix. Well, I would just wait till it came on Netflix. I've already paid for Netflix. That's a sunk cost. I haven't paid for a movie ticket and I could probably wait a month. Yeah, I guess some people can't though, um, and that's what they're preying upon or, or mm-hmm. they're hoping for. So, yeah, so um, I think that's interesting. So uh, a few things to think about. I mean, one, just this is a pretty significant cultural moment um, to where, as you said, theaters are losing money and they are not mm-hmm. making as much money as they once did because of Netflix, because of Amazon streaming. Disney now has their streaming services, imdb.com. Um, which is Internet Movie Database, excuse me, has Free Dive, I think is what it's called. So everyone's coming out with these uh, streaming services. And Roma was the big Oscar contender from Netflix. I mean, really, many people thought it was the front w- runner and it was going uh, to win. It did win three, right? Yes, it did win three. It, it won three, that's right. But it did not win for Best Picture. Some people were very shocked by that. Um, but you know, Steven Spielberg, I mean, obviously, when you think of notable movie directors, I mean, the top Steven Spielberg, if not, you know, currently living today, I mean, one of the most iconic uh, film directors taking Netflix on saying, you know, their quote unquote movies should not be compared to our movies. And so that's Mm. part of the discussion here of what is a movie? How do you define what a movie is? I mean, are, mm. are are movie theaters going to become a thing of the past? I mean, if you think of drive-in movie theaters, those are rare. They're they're not around that often 
Um, you'll find them in some places, okay, or theaters. Maybe theaters are going to be more of a um, thing of the past. But, Kurt, when we talk about what is a movie, what are some of your thoughts on that? Does it have to be, and this is a theological truth here, does it have to be a shared experience to be mm. a movie? Do we all have to go gather in this one place, um, you know, auditorium, theater, and we're all watching a movie together? Or can we all be sitting in the our own living room and have the same experience? I mean, there, there's some interesting things to consider. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we might want to turn this toward worship eventually, you know, with the with the growth of like satellite churches, where, you know, there's one church in, uh, let's say, use Alabama as an example, there's one church in Birmingham, but they have satellite branches in Huntsville and Montgomery and Mobile and Tuscaloosa and Auburn and, you know, Decatur or wherever. And, you know, is that the same as being part of a local church? Uh, you know, I think we're obviously going to go there. You know, you know what I think is interesting about this whole movie debate is I think what frustrates a lot of Hollywood people, um, other than change, everyone hates change, whether they, whether they say it or not, everyone, uh, is disrupt changes a disruptor and it, it forces people, uh, uh, who think they know what's going on to all of a sudden have to learn something new and, and no one that's usually a, a difficult experience for everyone. But uh, I think what's really interesting is the kind of movies that are made now is that, Everyone talks about how there's too many superhero movies, but superhero movies are the only thing that people want to go to the movie theater to see, right? Star Wars, you know, you think about Star Wars, Avengers, this is the stuff that people go and see. And so because of Netflix, that's the kind of movies that are getting made. You know, you don't see uh, a movie like Goodwill Hunting or a movie like uh, The Shawshank Redemption getting made or The Green Mile. I'm not going to choose just Stephen King books that are adapted to movies, but um, – you know, you just don't see movies like that anymore. That's what's been lost. You know, it's not the the blockbuster. The blockbuster still is in the movie theater because that has to be a shared experience. People want to see it quickly so they can talk about it with their friends, and they want to see it on the big screen. They want to see it with people, and they want to they want people to ooh and ah. And there's something about that. It's but what is what's lost uh, now. And I think horror movies survive because of this too, because there is that communal experience of all being scared together. I think horror movies do well in theaters because people like to go and, and, you know, jump, you know, the jump scares and the screams, it's kind of fun to be in a group and do that. But dramas and romantic comedies and uh, the kind of like um, uh, maybe even like historical biopics, uh, biopics or however you say that, uh, you know, those are the movies that we're losing because uh, of Netflix. And I think a lot of people in Hollywood are angry about that. They, they, they miss those, those kind of movies. Basically, you have to have a cape um, or you have to, in order to sell the movies, uh, you know, I enjoy Netflix and I don't really go to the movies. And, uh, you know, maybe this is a market adjustment. Uh, maybe Netflix is a market adjustment. Uh, to the movie industry should it really cost i don't know what a movie ticket costs these days but should it really cost that much right well sure i mean yeah there's definitely i mean that's a factor i mean you you hear just kind of a a punchline often is uh, you know you've got to take out a a loan just to go see movies that it's ridiculously priced but at the same time i'm i've heard i think like the opening weekend of a movie almost a hundred percent of that profit goes back to the, the, um, 
uh, film industry. And so the actual mm-hmm. theater doesn't make any money. Like, you know, we know yeah. uh, Avengers Endgame is coming out April 26th. Well, that opening weekend, as big as it is, the theaters will not see hardly any of that money. And so the longer a movie stays in the theater, the more the greater chance the theater has to to make that money back. And so they actually hope you don't <laughs> come opening weekend. In some ways, they hope you come, you know, seven weeks from its release and they're going to make higher profits at that time. But obviously if you don't go opening weekend and the movie doesn't do well, then they have to kick it out of the theater. So there's, um, mm-hmm. there's kind of a, a catch 22 there for the theaters, but that's why so many are struggling. And then obviously that's why they have to charge $5 and 75 cents for a small pack of sour patch kids or something along those lines. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting to think about. I mean, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, you, you think of, Steven Spielberg, I mean, in some ways there's some obviously money attached to this because uh, studios are losing money uh, to Netflix. Uh, so it is a, a it's funny, though. It's it's funny, though. I don't see all these people who claim to love film uh, offering to take a pay cut so they can continue in their job. I mean, let's look. This is like the, the kind of callous way to think about it. But, you know, you don't have to make a million dollars. Um, you don't, you know, or, or $10 million on a film, you don't have to. And if you didn't, if you didn't charge that much to work in a film, if you're an actor or an actress, then maybe they could make the film for less money. And if they could make the film for less money, then not as many people would have to see it in order for it to make money. And if not as many people had to see it, then maybe it could be in the theater longer. There's all kinds of like ramifications for that. And I think the, you know, some people would callously or cynically look at it and say, well, you know, Steven Spielberg is mad because his movies don't make as much money anymore as they used to. You know, and some people would just say, look, cry me a river over that. You know, like that's, you know, uh, uh, this is, you know, this is it's kind of like when people it's kind of like when rich people complain about the ta- or say that uh, taxes ought to be higher. Right. You know, taxes are what the is the minimum that you're required to pay. Right. Like you get a tax bill from the government. And that's the minimum. You are free to pay more. Like no one's stopping you from paying more. Um, you know, I, I, just this week, I think that we found out that one of the guys who was running, uh, who's going to run for Democratic uh, for the pres for the Democratic nomination for the presidency um, from Texas, Beto O'Rourke, um, that he gave like one third of one percent to charity over the last like three years. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, you know, are a lot of Christians look at that and they're like, wow, OK, well, <laughs> what's going on there? Anyway, all that to say is that I think their money is the main motivator here. Money is the main motivator is that why, you know, why people are angry about Netflix is that it seems to be they seem to be make the money still being made. It's just now the money's going to them and it's not going to these movie studios or it's not going to these directors or whoever it is. And, um, but but. We've gotten far afield. No, no, this is this is all related. I mean, money. No, no. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, is is there a communal experience in a movie theater? And the obvious answer is yes, there is, and that cannot be replicated at home. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the advantage that the movie theater has. And so, I think what you know, the movie theater business is going to change, and it, the way it's going to change is it's going to have to lean into that unique experience that it provides yeah it's gonna have you know movies but that doesn't mean that you know roma 
is not a movie. In my mm-hmm. mind, Roma mm-hmm. is a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess to me, you know, uh, was the difference between a movie and a television show? And I don't think it's as easy to describe as not not um, anymore. Not anymore because yeah. the production level. I mean, so many. <laughs> Uh, television shows are, I mean, you know, what we would say movie quality, but I mean, now it's kind of, they've, the playing field has been leveled. Well, you would say, well, episodes, right? You know, television show has episodes and a movie doesn't, but like, what about the Lord of the Rings trilogy that, you know, what about Star Wars? They're nine episodes. Oh, over, Avengers? <laughs> over four decades. Yeah. The Marvel universe, yeah. like all, all of these things that seems, so what makes that a movie and what makes, you know, like something like. Uh, Breaking Bad or This Is Us, not a movie. Um, yeah. You know, I, well, I, I think I think these categories are breaking down, and maybe because they they weren't great categories to begin with, and uh, and uh, I think what Steven Spielberg is arguing is that the medium is the important. That you know, a movie is in a theater, and a television show is in your home. And mm-hmm. so, if you're getting something in your home, like a Netflix movie, it's not really a movie. That's his argument, but that's tied to a technology. That's a technological argument. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, again, it's just an interesting point in our culture where there's a sense in which now the definition has changed. And yes, it's, you know, being altered through the years, um, but, but, but we're just thinking differently about uh, this because of the technology that's that's available. And so without a doubt, I would agree. OK, yes, there is um, money that's attached to this. There's also just Probably, you know, Spielberg, as they said, you know, he's 72. I mean, the work he had. Nostalgia. Yeah, there's nostalgia. And then there's also the Mm -hmm. work that he had to put in to get to where where he is uh, today. And so he's just thinking, you know, in some ways people need to earn the rights to to be able to to get um, their their movie or to be able to get attention um, uh, for certain movies. And so it's just it's it's becoming easier. I mean, everyone can be a filmmaker. I mean, obviously, YouTube shown us that everyone can create movies is becoming easier technologies allowing it to to be easier and so there's just some of that kind of the as we brought up before the old guard and hollywood and the new guard uh, there are some people who were outraged that green book won oscar <clears throat> the oscar for best picture and the quote-unquote young younger guard was was thinking you know there's no way it should have won and so there's all that kind of debate, and so Spielberg would be the the old guard for sure, and thinking, okay, this is the way movies need to compete for Oscars and and all that, and so it's definitely making him look bad. And um, again, there's there's a lot, and there's even some theological uh, reasons we need to to bring into this just to defend the whole idea of the movie theater. Um, as you said, I mean, shared experience. I mean, we're designed for community and gathering in one place to actually experience something. And let me just say this, as we're talking about the prices for movies, and I've said something like this before, some of our uh, complaining, whining about ticket prices is kind of entitlement and being spoiled. Uh, we, we don't actually think about the the miracle movies are. That all, all of the, the hundreds, almost thousands of people who worked together to create a movie like Avengers Endgame, for example. I mean, it is insane. And the years and years of labor, the, the script, the acting, all of it that had to come together to make that moment that you're going to consume in about two hours and just kind of say, mm, it was okay, let me just check out what, you know, what I missed on Instagram or whatever. And so it's, you know, some of the... Just uh, we're we're missing the the creativity 
and the value we should place on that and think, okay, look, this is actually not um, that pricey for what I just experienced. That's the last thing I said. And Kurt, I know we need to start wrapping this up. Well, I just want to pivot very quickly because I mentioned it at the beginning is that one, one place in which I think Steven Spielberg and I are on the same side is that I, you know, and I think you and I are too, is that communal experience and just like the idea of worship and the importance of regular corporate worship and how, you know, we won't, we, we might not associate those two things, but what's the difference between a movie theater and a worship service? I mean, the differences are not as stark as you would think. Everyone is gathering together in a large room and sitting together and there is a communal experience that happens there. And lots of people think that they can, or that there's a lie that we believe that that can be replicated in our homes by ourselves, either listening on the radio or watching on TV or going to a satellite church or whatever. And I would argue uh, actually pretty vehemently that um, that is a um, that is not the same as going to a local church that I tell my students regularly that you need to be able to shake the hand of the pastor after the sermon. Um, and there's nothing wrong. I listen to sermons on podcasts. You know, obviously I'm not against that. There's nothing wrong with listening on the radio and all those kind of things. As long as we understand that there's no substitute for being there, there's no substitute for being, um, for being there. And I, I think that's true for movies. I think it's true. Like I said about horror movies, there's just something about, you know, when everyone jumps at the same time, um, or screams out and, there's a feeling that you get there that you just don't get when you're by yourself. And there's also something, you know, I think that's back. You can back that up biblically in a lot mm-hmm. of different places. Yeah. I'm thinking about in Hebrews, uh, do not neglect the assembling mm-hmm. of yourselves together particularly, but there's a lot of them, a lot of places you could go where you could say, look, this is important. It's important that we be together. It's important that you know, the, the people in the pews and you know, the person who's preaching and the people in the choir singing and the, the person playing the organ, it's important. We're connected together and we're not just connected together for this hour, but we're connected together for eternity and truth. Mm-hmm. And anyway, all that to say is that in that respect, on that philosophy, I'm, I'm, t- I'm totally on uh, Steven Spielberg's side. And mm-hmm. I think that um, there is something that can't be replaced. That corporate experience can't be uh, manufactured at home. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, this is an interesting discussion uh, to me, and I think it should be an interesting discussion for, for Christians just to ponder, um, to think about. And look, we're going to pick up with this discussion on Tuesday of next week, and it's going to segue into our kind of summer movie uh, discussion. We're going to be talking about the movies that are upcoming, hopefully allowing parents, giving some information to parents about, hey, the movies that are going to be most likely popular for your uh, teenagers, your children, your students, and have some discussion about that. Uh, So I look forward to continuing that, but we need to wrap up because this is a little bit longer episode. Uh, Everyone, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Glad that we're able to get back and and record and hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation. And uh, we'll talk about just kind of our plans for the summer too, when we're going to be taking a break for the summer and what we might uh, try to do as a creative podcast outlet for you guys. So Kurt, it's been fun. Hope you guys enjoyed Joe Deegan playing in the background. Check out his new album, uh, RYM Worship. The album is entitled Promised Land. Have a good day, Kurt. See you later, John.